Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I chat with David McConaughey. Peaceful Power Podcast is here to help you live a movement-based lifestyle, utilizing fitness, yoga, and Ayurvedic techniques. Each week, I will bring you a motivational guest or a solo show geared to help you take action to live that peaceful, powerful life. So today's interview is a good one. It's so juicy. It's so in-depth. And I totally broke my rules um, this year about trying to keep them 30 to 40 minutes. But David has dropped a ton of wisdom on us, um, not only about Ayurveda, but really um, yoga. So we kind of kick it off by introducing some more um, in-depth insight into what yoga is. And then we go into Ayurveda and we talk about subtle energies, the prana, tejas, and ojas, and how that relates to the doshas. And then we kind of wrap up with uh, Vedic astrology, as that is something else that David is passionate about. So we really, um, really have a nice roundabout podcast. um, And I think that if you're really interested in knowing more about yoga or even Ayurveda, this is definitely an episode to tune into because um, you will learn some new things, as I did listening to David um, talk. And he has studied extensively um, at many fabulous schools. you know, like he has, I'm trying to look up here, he has a doctorate in divinity from the University of Meta- Metaphysical Sciences. Um, he has studies, he's got his 500-hour yoga teacher training, plus 12 months in residency um, at Siavanda Yoga Tradition in California. I mean, it is an awesome background. So I think you guys will be fascinated with today's interview. Um, so without further ado, enjoy today's show with David. Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. Today, I am joined by David McConaughey, and I am super excited because we are kicking off February with our Ayurveda month. Um, and so I just want to kind of throw it over to you, David, and just tell us a little bit about your background because I saw you were a four-sport athlete. Um, I was a three-sport athlete myself, so I'm like, oh, and then you kind of got interested in the yoga, and I just I want to explore your journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's wonderful to chat with you today. Um, and yeah, so I've been an athlete my whole life. And, you know, in high school was, you know, soccer, basketball, baseball, lacrosse, these sort of things. And then uh, played uh, Division One soccer at the George Washington University in Washington, D.C. And my junior year, I ended up getting hurt, you know, tearing my quadricep up near my hip. Oh, and um, in the process of recovering from that, was recommended to go take a yoga class Mm -hmm. and I was like okay cool and plus I hear there are pretty girls and blah 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 (laughs) blah right uh typical you know 20 year old male and um immediately I became quite frustrated with basically every single coach and trainer I'd ever had because if I'd been doing yoga the whole time I would have never gotten this injury in the first place and and also was quickly able to drop into the meditative aspect of it that is sort of that, you know, asana as the access point for um, the deeper realms that yoga has to offer. And so that sort of like blew my mind open at that point and set me on this whole other trajectory from, you know, sort of like jock type, although never fully embraced that, um, into this realm where, uh, so I graduated in 2008 as a, a major in English and creative writing. And so obviously, uh, English majors have like six figure salaries waiting for them upon graduation anyway, but then 2008, the economy had fallen apart. And so a little bit stuck as to what to do next. And um, 
I ended up at the Shivananda yoga farm in Grass Valley, California. And um, that was the, the access point for so much else. And I really had no idea what I was getting myself into. I'd, you know, I'd taken this like one semester long Bikram class and, and then not knowing quite what else to do, ended up at this ashram where, you know, it's, you know, uh, 30 minutes of meditation every morning and then 30 minutes of devotional chanting, uh, you know, kirtan every day and, and then 30 minutes of satsang and that's, that's morning and evening and then all the karma yoga you can do. So I was, ended up working in the garden, uh, which then fed the kitchen where I got to cook with an Ayurvedic chef and, and so again, like having no idea what I was learning, but just like, Oh, this makes so much sense. And, um, and that's also where I got introduced to Vedic astrology and Vastu Shastra, the art of placements or the yogic equivalent to Feng Shui and, and this whole realm of yogic philosophy and the Vedic sciences and what, is so exciting to me about the that whole realm is I can remember being maybe like eight years old and and having this thought of like the the this thought I, this idea of like a parallel dimension popped into my head where I was like what if there's another me in this like mirror realm or something it's like almost me but a little bit different and and so I started asking my parents questions about this sort of thing and and ultimately led to like you know who am I why are we here? What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose? Like, what, what does it all mean? And basically, you know, bless their hearts, they told me nobody knows. Um, nobody can know. There are a bunch of people who will tell you that they know, and there are all these different religions that have their very specific idea of what it is. But ultimately, we're all just here doing the best we can trying to figure it out, uh, which is a very rational answer. Very, you know, and believe it or not, I wasn't quite satisfied with that. And so um, when to, to then discover the, the Vedic sciences where it's not only like, look, we've actually like, here's what we figured out. Here's, you know, from the cosmic scale, you know, the astrology from you know, the distant stars, even beyond the zodiac, all the way down. And that can influence what foods we choose to eat and you know what time we say the prayers and and like all the way down this like intricate system of understanding how the universe and and the life within it functions but but not only that it's it's not about taking it on faith it's not like hey like we figured this out and wrote it down and so you should just believe it it's no here are the specific practices that you can do every single day that will lead you towards realizing this knowledge for yourself. And then you don't have to take our words for, for, word for it. You can, you can know it for yourself and, and act accordingly. And that is, is just the most exciting thing to me. And, and so that's, um, that's the, the journey that I'm on. And it's, it's fun to understand that there's, there's no end to it, right? Like, I've had, I've had jobs before where, you know, like, okay, this is fine for now, but I'm, I'm getting bored already. Right. And, and there's no way this is going to turn into a career. Mm-hmm. So, so it's really fun to be in a field where there are literally lifetimes of, of learning and discovery yet to happen. So that's, that's, uh, that's a little bit about me. Wow. Okay. So I'm going to try to like take it down for everyone who's like, Oh my gosh, like, <laughs> whoa, what was he even talking about? So <laughs> I want to take it back to first, because I think that this is something that I have found. So when I, before I went through yoga teacher training, I was like, 
I just assumed yoga was asana. Like I just thought, and for anyone who asana are just the poses, it's like the practice, it's what you probably also think of is yoga. But then once I went to yoga teacher training, I was like, oh my gosh, yoga has so many layers to it. And then that's where the beauty is. And um, at a workshop I just was at this weekend, they had talked about the same thing. Like my friends all think yoga is, you know, hey, roll out your mat and wear your pretty yoga pants and just, you know, do some poses. And then she was like, it's so much deeper than that. So can you kind of talk on that a little bit just to explain to people if they're like, you know, oh, I, I'm doing yoga, but I didn't realize that there's more to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so classically, there are four paths of yoga. And, and these are meant to be um, and they all overlap and interweave and it's um, set up so that people of different dispositions can, can find their access point to, um, to the ultimate knowledge. And so one of the yogic aphorisms that gets passed around is that there are many paths and one mountaintop, right? And mm-hmm. so you can approach it from any angle that you'd like and ultimately and, and if, depending on which path you're going up, you may be the type that likes to climb straight up the side of a mountain, like a, a rock climber. And that, that view on the way up is, is very different than taking the winding path through the meadow and up the sort of slow, steady path, jigging back and forth. But ultimately you get to the top and you're in the same place. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, these four paths of yoga are karma yoga, bhakti yoga, Raja yoga and dhyana yoga. Um, and so, really, so let's start with, with karma yoga. Karma is a word that means action and, and the implied reaction, right? So, so real quick, there is no such thing as bad karma. Uh, there's no such thing as good karma. Uh, there is simply the karma. Mm-hmm. And, and the universe isn't punishing you. The universe is no, isn't rewarding you. It's simply giving you the feedback of, of what you've put out and then it, it, it flows back to you. Um, and, and so the concept of karma yoga is around selfless service. Um, understanding that we are born in this world and there's a certain amount of previous action that has led us to this, these particular circumstances. Everything we've ever done uh, throughout all of our lifetimes, all of our existence has led us to this very moment. And, and so there's a certain momentum to that. And so recognizing that, the, the yogic ideal is to, is to not create more karma, uh, to, to transcend this cycle of birth and death. And, and so in order to do that, we must find a way to act because we're in these circumstances and, and non-action is also action. Like if I choose to just stay in bed all day, like that's also action. And, and so how do we act in a way that doesn't create more work? And, and so that's the karma yoga, which is to take on this concept that this isn't, I'm not the doer. I'm not the one, the one doing this. I'm just here to serve basically. And so I'm in these circumstances and, you know, this person approaches me and needs something from me. It's like, okay, how, how can I be most helpful? And, and to think that it's not about me. I, I do the best that I can and offer up the results, basically, mm-hmm. whether good or bad, you know, whether I receive great, uh, blame or praise, I just do the best I can and share what I have willingly and don't expect anything in return for it. 
and and so it's this concept of of being of service, and and so that's, that's karma yoga, and that's um, one of the most accessible paths, yeah. right? Because because all that is is a switch in attitude. So yeah. you know whether you are a CEO or a janitor, you can go about your work with this attitude of being of service to others, mm-hmm. and and really trying to think, okay, how how is this a benefit? Uh, how can I be of service? And, and how can I offer the gifts that are, that are naturally available to me? How can I offer my resources um, to the, the greater good? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's, that's karma yoga. And um, karma yoga is made much easier when you are attuned to bhakti yoga. Uh, bhakti is, is the path of devotion. And uh, at this time in the world, uh, bhakti yoga is said to be the most powerful path of yoga, and it's also the simplest and most accessible. And um, when I first went to the yoga farm, I was very skeptical of this aspect. You know, I was looking at the the description. I was like, okay, like meditation and yoga, cool. Like, I want to learn more about that. And like working in the garden and the kitchen, cool. That sounds great. I want to learn more about that too. Like, ooh, like praying, ooh, <laughs> like singing and like bowing to these little statues. Like, yeah, I don't. I'll just skip that part. I'll, you know, no big deal. And and of course, th- within the first month of being there. There's this beautiful teacher, Karnamrita Dasi, who, who's a wonderful singer as well. You can, you can look up her music. And she came and taught this nine days of devotion. And, and there are classically nine forms of devotion that include like being the servant of the divine and looking upon the divine as a mother looks upon her child and caring for it that way. And, and there are all these different modes of, of bhakti, of, of devotion. And she taught this nine-day course on the modes of bhakti and and what was so profound about that for me is i realized like that devotion is actually my primary way of being in the world i am fundamentally a devotional being i just never had that language for it before and so like the way that i practiced athletics and like mm-hmm. threw my whole heart into it and like loved my teammates and wanted to you know lead and like perform and all these things that that's the devotional act and and the way that i threw myself into my studies and this that's all a form of devotion and and so ultimately it's it's about under it's again this concept of um sort of offering your energy to uh, some force outside yourself and and that can look that can be anything basically but it's it's about um tuning into what can be called love Mm-hmm. But it's it's love on a higher spectrum than you know because love has its opposite in hate, right? And so in in our three dimensional human realm, we live in we're st- always stuck between these opposites. We've got day and night, male and female, you know, good and bad, love and hate, and and so these the tension between these opposites are necessary for the the density of the realm we live in right in order for a guitar string to make any music it has to be fixed at these two points and pulled very taut right and then and then the music can happen so that's that's what we're living in but bhakti is the attempt to tune into the the love that is like the greater sphere within which our little dramas play out here (laughs) and and so that takes the form of uh, singing and prayer and dancing um and and can really be infused so like again if you're a janitor you 
infuse your toilet cleaning with this like joy and like love of whatever higher force uh, you connect to. Um, you know, I find it most easily accessible in nature. Mm -hmm. So, you know, lucky to live here in Colorado and it's so easy, you know, walk out the back door and you're in the mountains and there's a sense of like awe and this huge power and this other like, how did this mountain get here? Like, I, I, who, who put this here? That's amazing, right? And, and just like watching the seasons change, like who, how did they know to, it's, it's just awe-inspiring. And, and so like that, that's the most accessible form of, of devotion that, that I know of. So that's, that's bhakti. Um, and then Raja yoga is, is the realm, is, is the king's path, the king's way. Uh, and that's where we get what most people understand uh, yoga to be, which is, is uh, Patanjali's Ashtanga yoga, the, the eight limbs, uh, which start with the yamas and niyamas, the do's and don'ts are uh, the yogic ten commandments, so to speak. Um, and then we've got this um, duo of asana and pranayama. Um, and this is where, in so many ways, the rubber hits the road. Mm -hmm. These are these are the most like practical aspects. Where if you these are the, the most simple access points, uh, where all you have to do is show up at class. All like it's it, literally as simple as rolling out your mat and letting the class guide you. And and then uh, the pranayama is is the breathing that goes with that. And and there's a whole wide spectrum of just sim a simple yogic breath, taking a full breath into your belly um, to some pretty uh, esoteric techniques where you're, you know, clenching all these different aspects of your body and holding your breath for minutes at a time and all, all these more complicated things that you, that you work up towards. Um, and so asana and pranayama. So they say asana prepares the breath for meditation um no okay sorry I, I'm, I'm gonna get this wrong all right asana prepares the breath for pranayama pranayama prepares the mind for meditation mm. meditation prepares the heart for devotion mm -hmm. and and so ultimately this this is the ultimate goal of yoga is this absorption in the oneness of the universe where you sort of lose track of your individual physical form and feel yourself merging with the the infinite creator or whatever you want to call it um and so um there that's that's basically the process of patanjali's uh eight limbs of yoga so you like do the moral and and uh, uh basically be a good person practices and then you start doing these physical postures and that helps you breathe properly which and the breath is is something that we can both control and something we do automatically. So it's, it's this interesting bridge between the conscious and subconscious mind, between the um, autonomic nervous system and, um, and our, our sympathetic and parasympathetic. And it, it's this really interesting bridge that um, is, a, is an excellent tool. And then ultimately, as we start to work with the breath, we can uh, invert our senses so we're no longer distracted by the world around us and can tune into the inner world and then we can concentrate that attention into a single point and once we have a single stream of concentration on a single point in, in our internal landscape that's meditation 
and ultimately leads to what the yogis call samadhi, which is again that that mountaintop. Um, so that's Raja Yoga, and then the last is Jnana Yoga, which is is spelled J N A N A, uh, and that that J N it's it's similar to like our word knowledge starts with that K N, like what that's sort of like why <laughs> what's weird, right? It's say the same sort of thing, Jnana and knowledge. Um, and, and so this is, this is the intellectual path. Uh, this is for um, those of us who have trouble just surrendering into the bliss of bhakti and need like, no, 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 I need to know the science behind this. I need to know why this works. You know, okay, I did my pranayama and I feel great. Yeah, but, but why? And, and so this is where we're studying anatomy and physiology and spiritual texts and like I'm on a big kick into like geometry and uh, physics and like astrophysics these days because that, that's just like where this has led me. And, and so needing to understand a certain amount of what is actually happening here from a, a very scientific viewpoint actually allows my mind to, to then surrender into it and, and let go a little bit more. Um, so to, to go straight to the top, with jnana yoga is very difficult um, because a lot of us are trapped in our intellectual minds to begin with and and there's all this thinking going on but the mind is a very powerful tool and so if we can utilize the mind to help us on our way and to help set us up to do these other practices um, that's that's really the purpose of jnana yoga and and also as a form of inspiration um, you know, this is where like reading spiritual texts, like I can remember a point where I was getting uh, a little bit disillusioned with the world of yoga and, and, you know, that sort of lost on my path. And somebody handed me the autobiography of a yogi. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an amazing book. Yeah. If, if anybody out there hasn't read it, highly recommended. It. It's one of the only books that I've, you know, I finished the last page, immediately flipped it over and started reading from the beginning again. And, and at that point I was like, all right, you know, another yoga book, like, and, and, but from the first page was just, was just something like magnetic about this book. And, and so that's, that's a form of jnana yoga where the, the knowledge of like studying the lives of saints, studying the, the more like intricate philosophy and ultimately circles back to a form of devotion and, and leads to like, Ooh, like I'm inspired by the life of this person and the example they set that makes me want to sit and do my meditation practice that makes me want to do my asana every day and like and so all of these paths of yoga connect and interweave and and are mutually supportive on on your path and so um the the shivananda tradition uh is set up so that you do a little bit of each one every day little it's one of the it's a proverb it's a a way of thinking in Ayurveda and in yoga where little by little, just little, little, where you do like a little bit of asana every day and a little bit of pranayama every day and a little bit of meditation and a little bit of bhakti and, and a little bit of karma yoga and a little bit of study. And so you're just doing a little bit every day and, and it's sort of this well-rounded thing so you don't get too carried away into the extreme of like, oh no, I just do eight hours of asana every day and that's it's like, okay, great. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, a lot about yoga. <laughs> no, I think that's super helpful. Um, I mean, all of the stuff that you talked about and 
I'm going to have to listen to that again and be like, okay, take <laughs> notes. And I could so relate. Like I just thought of this um, at our workshop that I was at. It was so funny because it's uh, she's a Western doctor yeah. at the class and she, um, and this was like a peace medicine class. So it's kind of, you know, learning more about just kind of, you know, yoga. It's not necessarily Ayurveda, but just earthy stuff. Yeah. So for her, she is like, came to the class and she, you know, she asked how it went and she was like, I'm sitting here during my meditation. Cause that's what we were supposed to be working on. And she is like, I am just like, check, check, check in my head. Like, this is how I should be. This is how I should feel. And she's like, I'm not getting to it because I'm sitting here like with my intellect being like, no, this is not how it should be. It should be like this. And she's like, then I realized I've been doing this every time for how many years that I thought I was meditating and I'm just checking off this box and I'm not actually, cause we were supposed to be working on grounding. She's like, I'm not grounding because I'm checking it off my list and just thinking I should feel this. I should do this. I'm like, that's so true. Cause I think so many of us have done that. Like, I'm like, I've done that. Yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, and I was, I was just back at the yoga farm recently and, and one of the swamis was, was giving a talk and, and there were a whole bunch of uh, new, it was like a, a beginner's course weekend was happening while I was there. And, um, and so there are all these people who have like no idea what they're doing basically, which is great. It's just like the most potent moment. And, and so the Swami was sort of checking. So how was meditation? And everybody's like, sort of like showing their like aching backs and like, and their like crazy minds. And, and the Swami was really like, don't worry. Like my meditation was like that too. I've just learned how to sit still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and it's so reassuring that like, it's why they call it, it's why we practice yoga, yes. right? Like even the people who have dedicated their whole lives to it and do it like every day, all the time are still struggling with the mind, still struggling to just calm it for even one second. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, this is where uh, Patanjali's breakdown is actually quite useful where <clears throat> um, there's this difference between dharana and dhyana, which, which is concentration versus meditation. And, and so the, t- most of us are working on concentration. Mm-hmm. Most of, when, when we say we're meditating, we're all just working on concentration because to wrangle the mind into a single instant of single pointed focus is a, a huge accomplishment. Even, you know, and it, it's the sort of thing where as soon as you do it, it's like, oh my God, I'm meditating. Oh, I'm meditating. <laughs> oh, I'm not meditating anymore. Yep. Ah. And, and so, to, and then, okay, so we try again and it can take years to get it to that sing, a single moment of single pointed focus. And then to, to get to meditation, you're trying, you need to then connect those, okay, one moment, two moments, three moments, and then you've done three seconds of meditation. And, and to, to meditate, to truly meditate for three seconds is again, like lifetimes worth of work to, yes. to control the mind. The mind is so powerful. And often, so often we are at its mercy. And so um, I take solace in this, um, I think I, I read it somewhere. It was a, uh, attributed to the Buddha who said, just, just the instinct to meditate, just the thought I should meditate is, is akin to Buddhahood. It's just mm-hmm. like, okay, like just that instinct is, is a blessing and, and to actually act on it all the better and and so um what the first of the uh yamas is ahimsa right and and that's non-violence and and so that includes ourselves yoga is essentially non-violent 
And so if we're sitting here meditating and thinking, I'm so stupid, I can't even meditate, I can't even sit still, uh, my thought is I'm doing this wrong, I'm bad at this, like, I, I would never talk to a student that way. Why would I talk to myself that way? Mm-hmm. And, and so this is like, that's one of the like, like gentle, gentle, just like be easy, just little by little, like the fact that you even had the impulse to want to sit and work with your mind, you know, bless you. Like you're doing so well, just embrace the process and trust the process oh. is, is a huge, huge thing. Yes. Um, yeah. And this is where I think I want to bring some Ayurveda into it now yeah. because I think, well, first I want to get, cause what I found, um, from, I'm going through another, so I keep taking all these Ayurveda teaching courses and yeah. you know, coaching courses from different teachers because what I'm finding is everyone teaches a slightly different. Oh, yeah. And so what I'm also finding, like everyone has, you know, obviously we have like the literal definition of Ayurveda, but then each person has kind of their own interpretation of what it is or their definition to them. So I was going to kind of ask you what, if you're just like someone's brand new to Ayurveda, what do you kind of tell them in your own words, you know, what it is? Yeah. Yeah. So Ayurveda is, um, the word is a compound of two Sanskrit words, Ayu and Veda. And so Ayu translates to life roughly, but it has the implications of like longevity. And, and then Veda is knowledge. And so, so Ayurveda, the word can be understood as the knowledge of longevity or, or the science of life. And, and so this to me, speaks to, Ayurveda is a way of understanding your surroundings and your internal world Mm -hmm. in a way that allows you to bring those two into harmony, right? And, And to act in alignment with the natural forces. So again, I talked about like watching the seasons change before and like what, like how does the grass know that it's time to grow? How do the birds know when it's time to, move to the next pond south or whatever there there is this natural intelligence that like moves the seasons and moves the planets in their orbits and and there's just this is just this is all just happening and nature is never in a hurry nature's never like oh i'm late like uh, <laughs> although you know um current climate conditions accepted you know that, yeah. that's a whole other realm of conversation but um but generally, like, and, and this is, I think, uh, Lao Tzu, you know, nature never hurt, never hurries, yet all is accomplished. Mm-hmm. And, and so how is it then that I, as a human, as a natural being born on this planet, how come I'm in a hurry and I'm late and I'm stressed out and, and then like and all, at, all at odds with the world around me? And so Ayurveda is this system of understanding where we can harmonize our actions on a daily basis with the world around us in order to unify with that natural flow and let the seasons change us, let the different uh, times of life change us and to just flow with that and to, and, and thereby exert less energy, be less stressed. And, you know, it's way easier to surf a wave than it is to swim upstream, right? And, and so Ayurveda is, is basically a, a system of how to surf the wave. And, and so then you can, when you're surfing the wave, you can just lay back and, and ride it and don't have to exert any energy. And then, then you can live to be 120 or 240 years old, no problem. 
uh, as opposed to fighting against it every day of our life. And, you know, by the time we get to be 60 years old, we're exhausted and done and, you know, ready for a new body. Mm. Yes. I love that. That's a great, that's a great way to explain it and just kind of making that connections. Um, and then kind of moving on to like the subtle energy bodies. Cause I know that this is something else that you want to talk about. And I think that you will give definitely a great explanation for everyone. Um, so let's talk about, you know, the prana and the tejas and the ojas and just kind of tell us what it is. Cause I doubt, I mean, maybe people have heard prana before, but I don't know about the, well, even the, so they might have heard it, but don't even know what it yeah. is. Yeah, totally. So, so let's, um, we'll, we'll start big and, and go small. So Ayurveda is based on this concept that everything in creation, whether planets or plants or people, and, and this includes like thoughts and, and emotions, these, are, these have a physical quality to them. Um, everything in creation is composed of the five great elements. Mm -hmm. and, and these are from subtle to gross, ether, which is the principle of space, uh, air, which is the principle of movement and activity, fire, which is the principle of heat uh, and transformation, um, water, which is the principle of cohesion, um, and earth, which is the principle of structure, solidity, form. So we've got ether, air, fire, water, earth. And these everything in creation is composed of a conglomerate of these elements. None of the, these, the elements themselves are sort of archetypal energies. And in order for anything to actually take shape, we have all five elements involved. And, and so you think about like, you know, the stratosphere is mostly air, but there's, there's definitely heat up there. Otherwise, you know, the world would be frozen. And uh, there's definitely little, you know, dust particles floating around. So there's earth and, and there's, there's water, you know, it rains. And so all, everything is, and then you go deep underground and yeah, so okay, it's mostly earth, but there's definitely heat down there too. There's water underground, there, there are caves. And then, you know, if you get into like the subatomic particles, it's mostly empty space. And, and so all of the elements are always involved with every physical thing, although one or two may predominate. Mm -hmm. And so those are the five elements and Ayurveda understands that they take action, they take form in the world through the three doshas. And these are vata, pitta, and kapha. Uh, vata is, the, is, is ether and air working together. So we mostly think of vata as the principle of, of movement, activity. It's, it's the wind element and it's uh, highly creative and highly mobile. It's, it's the only dosha that has the quality of, of movement, of activity to it, um, and is very hard to wrangle. It's very hard to, you know, catch some wind in a box and bring it to me. Like, good luck, right? But, but if you can channel that energy, like you get it into a wind tunnel, you can, you know, you can launch yourself into outer space. Mm -hmm. and, and so very, very powerful, Vata. Uh, pitta is, is essentially the fire element. And, and when it's healthy, it has a little bit of water with it. Uh, I, I like to think of, you know, you're boiling water on a stove and that that heat is powerfully transformative you know you add a whole bunch of different ingredients and it becomes one meal that can nourish you mm -hmm. um but if you just let that fire go too long 
all of a sudden you've just, the, the water boils off and you've got just an empty pot on the stove and it's going to crack and explode and, and that gets ugly and it's dangerous. And, and so that, um, that's when, when the fire element gets out of balance, when pitta is aggravated, um, it, it lacks water. Um, and so pitta, the, the fire element is associated with our vision, uh, the light that hits our eyes that literally allows us to see but then it's also like like vision, like I have a vision and and therefore associated with ambition and this drive to, to accomplish things. So that's, that's a little bit of pitta. And then we have kapha, which is uh, earth and water, which is really this principle of solidity, stable. And we all know people who are like a rock and uh, they're usually really good at saving money and they're a really good shoulder to cry on. And, and it's like, you know, you might not talk to them for five years, but you can call them up and it's like not a day has gone by and they remember that time when you were five and you were playing in the sandbox and you said this one thing and they remember it verbatim. It's like, how, why, but amazing, right? Uh, everybody needs a good kapha friend in their life. So there's this like stability of earth is very grounding, stable. Um, and so, so those that's like the basic framework that we're working with in, in Ayurveda. And um, there, then there are these more subtle energies where each of the doshas has a more subtle correspondent. Um, and, and so this is prana, tejas, and ojas, uh, which correspond to vata, pitta, and kapha. And so uh, a lot of yogis will, will have heard of prana. And this is, this is the, the life force, the, the vital breath. And, and it's, it's this concept that is pervasive throughout world religion. You know, the Chinese call it qi. Um, there's, it's, it's, it's the life force. It's this, this the, the prime mover. It's this energy that, that moves through us. And um, if, if anyone's ever done a Reiki training, uh, one of the first exercises they have you do is you sit here and, and rub your hands together vigorously for like three or like five minutes. And you just rub and rub and rub. And then you pull your hands just, just a little bit of an inch apart and, and you, can, you can feel that there's this energy field between your two hands. That's, that's prana. That, and that's a very visceral experience of what prana is. And, and so ultimately prana has to do with, with our energy, with um, our, our enthusiasm for life. Um, and, and we all know like if we're, when we get sick, we have low prana and we just like, even if we like, want to do something we can't our brain isn't working we're not think we just can't we've no energy and we're just a mess and then um there are also times when we have excess prana we're like a little bit manic like a little bit uh, i struggle with this sometimes i get a little bit too enthusiastic and sort of like overwhelm people and it's like doing a little bit too much too fast and like okay wait 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 what did you say five minutes ago that wait, we need to do one thing at a time it's like that sort of manic energy that, that can be an excess of prana and Okay, so prana is, is, is this energy flow. And um, then tejas is the subtle form of pitta. And, and this is, tejas is all about discernment. Um, tejas is, is, this, is the sorting process. So like right now I'm talking and you're listening and you're thinking, okay, like that makes sense. I've heard of that before. Oh, that's nonsense. I, I don't know, that's complete BS. And, like, and, and you're doing this sorting process intellectually. And, and that's the function of Tejas um, because ultimately like the, the fire element is, is our digestive process. Right? We got a fire in the belly and, and a fire in our mind, a fire in our eyes. 
and and so ultimately this is this is the quality this is what fire does is it, it's sorting out and and purifying and so um, you we do this all the time whether you're watching TV or reading a book or listening to a podcast and hearing in from taking in information and sorting out like okay that's those are nutrients um, this is waste and I'm gonna let this nourish me and I'm just gonna cast this cast this out and, and so it's Tejas is what helps us process and, and make sense of things. And it's ultimately our, our discernment of like, you know, okay, he's giving advice. Like, is that good advice or bad advice? And am I going to take it? Am I going to take it to heart? Am I going to like keep it sort of over here and think about it more later? Or is that I'm just going to immediately throw it out? So that's, that's the function of Tejas. And then there's Ojas, uh, which is the subtle form of Kapha. And Ojas is all about immunity and resilience and and this sort of like sense of stability and calm within ourselves where um if if we have healthy ojas we would never complain mm -hmm. about anything because no matter what's happening we're sort of in our own little padded bubble and and i can i have great resilience right so i think of ojas as it's sort of like the atmosphere of our planet earth where you know there are asteroids coming at the earth all the time every minute of the day but they very rarely reach the surface because they get burnt up in the atmosphere and and so oh that's sort of the role ojas is playing with the world around you where it it serves it's the physical filter mm -hmm. that that keeps other people's thoughts and emotions at bay um, and, and sort of it's, it's our, it's our protective bubble. Mm -hmm. And, and so Ojas is said to be the physical material of which the subtle body is composed. And, and so, um, many of you may be familiar with the concept of, of an aura. Your that, you know, your, your body doesn't actually end at your skin. You have this aura that you know, if you put your arms straight out in front of you and then sort of make a circle around yourself and then up overhead, you've got, you have a bubble. And you know, I, I've heard little kids talk about this a lot, right? Like, you're in my bubble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's a true thing. And, and that's how, you know, we know that, you know, somebody walks in the room and we're either all magnetized or all horrified. And it's like, yeah, that's because their bubble precedes them. Mm -hmm. and, and so um, conscious awareness of the quality of your bubble can make a huge difference in your experience of life. And, and so um, in yoga, we have this concept of the nadis which are, are the, the astral tubes. They're basically the, the energetic veins of your, your subtle body. And, and so the, the, um, if we think of it like a hose, where, where you know, we're going to water the garden and we've got the hose. And, and so prana can be understood as the water that's moving through the hose. The, the actual like, energetic stuff is the prana. The hose itself is composed of ojas. And and then deciding where to water and how much is, is the function of Tejas, the, the sort of intelligent application. And, and so um, there, there's a couple like different dynamics that can happen there where if you have a very thick hose, it can create, make it so that there's not enough room for the water to flow through. And, and that can lead to a lot of like a, the sense of like stagnation, uh, like depression, where, you know, you're, you want to move, but you just can't. It's just like the sluggishness. 
where you know you're squeezing the hose but it's just this little drip coming out it's like it's really unsatisfying um uh, you and can this would be like the dosha imbalances yeah so in yeah. case because i've talked about dosha so in case people are like okay i think i'm tracking that yeah. would be you know That's, that could be excess kapha yes where where it's just like too much earth element too much water and it's just like heavy and sluggish and you don't want to get out of bed and then like bleh. um <laughs> And, and so you can also have the opposite problem where, um, like I think of like with, with electrical circuits, this is, this is another really good metaphor for prana, tejas, and ojas. So um, if you have you know, um, an outlet that you wanna plug something into, you need to make sure that the thing you're plugging in is able to handle the voltage coming through that outlet. And if, if it's not, you can, you know, the, the uh, insulation of the wire, you can add extra insulation and then there's, there's, it can handle more voltage. And, and so the voltage is like the prana, the amount of energy coming through and, and the insulation of the wire is, is your ojas. And, and so this is, we want to build these things simultaneously where it's no good to just say, oh, I want more voltage. I, I want more prana. And, and then you literally like burn yourself out and the whole house goes dark, <laughs> right? You, you just plug this thing and, and, and like I've seen this happen with um, like Kundalini yoga. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's very intense breathing practices and super intense. And, and the people that are drawn to it are so enthusiastic about it. And, and, and they just do it. And eventually, and it's just like, it's, they short circuit at a certain point because they haven't done the appropriate dietary and lifestyle practices to build the ojas which insulates the circuit so that you can have all that increased voltage flowing through in a protect safe protected way um so so yeah that's that's um i i love talking about pranatages and ojas <laughs> because it's it's the subtle anatomy and it's you know if we have strong ojas We've got this, um, this strong bubble around us. And again, we don't want to put up any walls, but, but we, need, we need an intelligent filter for the world, right? Where um, we, because there are some energies that we do want to let in. You know, if, if one of our good friends comes to give us a, a big hug and show us some love, then if, yeah, we, we need to let that in. But we also need to know when, you know, we're walking down the street late at night and have our, our energetic shield up because there's just by the way that you're holding yourself, you can avoid a difficult encounter altogether if, if your energetic shields are up, right? And, and so the, and the same goes for like pathogens, right? Like there's terrible flu going around right now and like some people get it and some people don't. Totally random, right? Like, no, it, it's, it's not. Some people have their strong ojas and the pathogen comes into their field, it has to if you're interacting in the world, but there's enough of a boundary there where it gets burnt up in the atmosphere before it ever reaches the ground. See, I think I find this very fascinating and so funny because the peace medicine teacher like pretty much had the exact same example as far as walking down the street and because we were just talking about boundaries and essentially she's talking about ojas, but we didn't get that deep in, you know, in the class. And um, she had said, she's like, I've had people literally you know, males walk to the other side of the sidewalk because they, you know, I'm walking down the sidewalk. I had my ojas up. I am protected. And she's like, cause she said, you know, before she's like, when I wasn't, I did get, you know, she's like, I got held up at gunpoint. Yeah. And she's like, and I knew that evening she's like, I had, everything was down. It was, you know, I wasn't paying attention. And 
you know, that happened. And I'm like, wow, I mean, that some people are gonna be like, what? I cannot even fathom this right now. But once you kind of really deep dive into this and you start hearing these examples and more and more people saying, oh yeah, I can relate. I think that's when it kind of opens your eyes and you kind of start to say, okay, maybe there is something to, you know, everything that maybe David's talking about today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's ultimately like, one of the things that I, I have loved about Ayurveda is how intuitive it is. And it creates a system that helps me understand my own experience. Yes. Where like, I, like, we all know those times where our guard is down. We don't have the energy, you know, like we're, we come home from a hard day or something and our significant other or something is just immediately is like, hey, like, what about this? And this thing is just like, like honey, I just can't like, just Done. Can't, I can't do this right now. And, and like, if you ever like that, and a lot of times that's when we get into like arguments or fights because we don't, we're, we don't have the resources to like hold our presence mm -hmm. to like intelligently discern like, okay, are they saying that because it's about, it's something I did or, or like, is that tone of voice something I'm just interpreting or, or like what is really going on? Cause our, our, our we have low prana. And so the whole system is functioning at less than optimum levels. And so, so that that's okay. I mean, that that's part of the human experience that happens to everybody, but to have the tools to understand what's happening and to recognize it in the moment and say, Hey, look, like I'm not quite up for this right now. I need to go lie down or, you know, maybe do some pranayama, like do a headstand or something and, and just like do some of these practices to help reorganize your, your energy uh, and reset your mind then you're, you can come at it from a more, uh, a, a more harmonious place and, and a place that's more true to yourself versus this place where like, I'm not actually in myself. I'm like somewhere like five feet over here. And, and from five feet over here, I'm really pissed off at you right now versus like my internally, like, oh, I actually like really love you and want to sort this out in a gentle way. And like, I'm trying to hear what you're saying to me as opposed to just like attack, attack, attack. Right? <laughs> um, so that's, that's where like some of the, the rubber hits the road here where, you know, this is also like esoteric theory, but, but, you know, investigating your own experience and seeing how it applies to, to daily life is, is where it, it becomes actually practically useful. Mm, yes. Um, yeah, I'm trying. I'm like, oh, do we go down that road? I'm like, oh, then we're gonna be with. We're gonna be well over an hour if we go down the well. That, that astrology road. That is. It is actually a good transition to the astrology point. Point, and I can try to keep it relatively brief. Um, where, again, like um, my father, bless his heart, grew up in the military. Military guy himself. You know, when I told him, you know, just graduated from college, and like yeah, dad, I'm going to go to, go to an ashram for six months. It's like, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now, David, what will be the measure of success at the end of this ashram? So it's like, I don't know, dad, I'm going to go meditate. Like uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you when I'm done. And, and so he, he also has this sort of like rational skepticism of astrology um, because like what there's like these distant planets are having this magical effect on like, you know, what does Jupiter have anything to do with how I'm behaving today? You know, I'm in, I'm in control of how I'm behaving, right? Sure, dad. Um, <laughs> but, um, so, so ultimately, um, 
there's a whole bunch of fun astrophysics and science we can get into about how it how it actually does work. And if you think about the fact that um, the human body is you know seventy or eighty percent water, and then look at what the moon does to the tides, and in terms of and change moving the seasons and all these like there is a literal like gravitational electromagnetic effect that the planets have on our bodies. But um, setting that aside, uh, <laughs> if, if nothing else, this is, uh, the Vedic astrology is a system of archetypes that help us to understand the, the different energies moving within us. And um, we can think about the the planets as these the different characters in a play mm -hmm. and and the signs are the different scenes um where you know the the king behaves very differently if he's in his castle versus if he's in the home of a beggar mm -hmm. or if he's you know out in public right the the depending on what scene the character is in they behave very differently like you behave very differently at your best friend's house versus like you know at school or you know at in, uh, the house of like if you're at a party of your ex partner and like his his or her new partner is there like that's a very different scenario than like at home in the bath right yeah. so like you're the same character but in these different scenarios you have these different outcomes um and then and then the different uh houses these, these are the three things we look at in astrology we've got planets signs and houses and and depending and all these things interact to give us um a, a painting of of what's happening and and so it's uh, a very very powerful tool again it's like ayurveda it very rarely tells you anything you don't already know mm. uh this is this is one of the things that it's happened over and over again where you know i've gotten readings i've done readings for other people and and I'll just sit there, or, or like a client will sit there and just be nodding their head, and sometimes they're crying, and it's just like, I, but it's not because I'm like telling them some mystical, amazing thing about themselves. It's because I'm telling them things that they know are true. So I'm not, I'm not actually telling them anything that they don't already know. But again, the the power that comes with the fact that there's a system where mm -hmm. it's it's not just random, right? The the relief that comes from you know a stranger tell basically telling you that you're in exactly the right place at exactly the right time doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing even like, even and, and especially when it's most chaotic because mm. because this is mostly when people come to yoga or astrology or, or ayurveda is like they've suffered enough mm -hmm. and like i I've, I'm, I've suffered enough and and i can't figure this out and there's got to be something more like what, what somebody tell me something and and so this is where it's like oh yeah of course you're in chaos right now you know saturn is transiting your natal moon and like okay so it's going to be stressful for the next year but but it's stressful in this way so that you can learn this lesson mm. and you can ease some of the suffering one just by knowing that this is the cycle that you're in and then also by by sort of like taking it head on like okay this is the cycle this is the point of stress and i'm getting this because i'm trying to learn this lesson and and so ultimately the the view of vedic astrology is that we are souls having a human experience in order to evolve and learn lessons 
mm-hmm. and, and to learn more about different aspects of love ultimately, right? And so sometimes it's the love between uh, a husband and wife or a, a romantic partnership. Sometimes it's the love of a business partnership. Sometimes it's love of self. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, it's more f- a family, like um, parent-child. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, love of money and material things and, and figuring out how do I really like value and, and appreciate and love my material surroundings without getting trapped by it, mm-hmm. right? And, and so they're like, there are all these different lessons that we're, we're trying to learn. And, and um, you know, so earth is a big school and, and everybody has a different major, right? We, there's, there are certain like um, fundamental classes that everybody takes, but some people then are focusing in, in different areas. And so this is what Vedic astrology is a very powerful tool to help reveal is, is you can help like tune into your highest inspiration your deepest motivation and, and get a clear idea of what, what's actually going to make me happy. Mm-hmm. Right. Because so often, you know, um, I can remember again being an athlete and like working so hard and training and like winning the tournament and then like, okay, like, and now I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I'm still not an enlightened being and this, okay, cool. Like, I'll get another little hit of happiness when I get my trophy. And then like, now I have to like sit in the car on the way home with my mom who I like, you know, got in a fight with about making my bed this morning or whatever. It's like, and, and so like, that's, that's ultimately like, that's, you know, winning the tournament is like one form of happiness, but, but how, what is the happiness that is, is lasting and, and yeah. true and how can I get more of that? Um, and, and so that's, that's some of the use of Vedic astrology. And, and just to say that the astrology and Ayurveda work hand in hand. Uh, so a lot of times it's something that I'll look, I'll look at someone's chart while also doing like a medical intake with them. And, and we can figure out like, okay, like, are you having excess pitta because you're drinking too much coffee and going sunbathing all day? Or is Mars transiting your first house and, you know, just be careful for the next six weeks and it'll pass. Like they're all, you know, and usually it's a yes and kind of situation, but (laughs) but all all these, all these things are are interwoven and and we can get a pretty clear uh, picture of, of the full like multidimensional reality of, of a human. Um, And, and that, that I find is, is really the, the greatest like, blessing of this practice is so often, I mean, I know this from personal experience, is just so desperate to be seen mm. and, and heard as, a, as like the complex multidimensional being that I am, that like going, you know, having this issue and like going to a doctor and getting five minutes, you know, filling out a form and then getting five minutes on a prescription. It's like, yeah, but I, I wanted to tell you this other thing and like, it's just like not satisfying and mm-hmm. and again like i'm not at all against modern medicine super powerful tools super necessary if you need an appendectomy i can't help you if you break your arm you need to go to the hospital if you break your arm do not call an ayurvedic doctor like, that's <laughs> not the thing but that there is this whole other realm where like with ayurveda and yoga and astrology we're looking at the the depth and breadth of the human experience and taking into consideration 
your childhood and your job and your daily sort of like emotional habits and 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 your diet and exercise and and some herbs and all these things all of these things are a fact are fact factors in your health and well-being and in order to experience that true vibrant health where you're excited to get up in the morning and gung-ho to go out for the day and happy to do your work and be of service to others and then tired at night so you sleep well and have you know enlightening dreams all these things like that requires yes like physical health and exercise and eating right but you also need to have your emotions you know not not in check but but to understand how to surf those waves of emotion and and then also that that sort of spiritual sense of like some higher purpose some sense that i'm not just me i'm not just this body um and and all those things need to align in order for um the the vedic definition of of true health to be achieved so so yeah that's that um okay so where can people find you do you do this online too or just in person or if someone's like how can i work with david yeah totally so um i am based in boulder colorado for now uh, <laughs> well, and he's from minneapolis so he's from uh, my from, area yeah grew up in minneapolis um uh, live in boulder colorado uh, I'm also often at the Shivananda Yoga Farm in Grass Valley, uh, California, uh, which is right just like sort of northeast of Sacramento. So um, my personal website is vedadave.com. That's V-E-D-A-D-A-V-E.com. And um, my practice here in Boulder is rootsofwellnessayurveda.com. Um, and then... Uh, so happy to see people in person. If you're in Colorado, uh, can also definitely do, uh, Skype appointments. Uh, we use a program called VC cause it's HIPAA compliant and keep better for mm -hmm. privacy. Um, but yeah, can definitely work with people remotely. Uh, and, and, you know, if you have questions, reach out and, and, you know, if I, if I'm not the right person to work with you, I, I can definitely recommend somebody in your area or, or someone else who, who may be more appropriate. Uh, the other thing I'll also say is um, I'm on the board of Colorama, which is the Colorado Ayurvedic Medical Association. And uh, we are the uh, group of people uh, supporting and protecting and spreading the Vedic sciences here in Colorado. And so we are coloradoayurveda.org. So there's, there's some resources on there. We love new members and love talking about all these topics all the time <laughs> so if you have more questions um please please reach out i'm, I'm always happy to chat love it oh this has been so amazing just to have all of this information and like it's one that i'm gonna have to again take notes on i was okay. like i don't want to take notes otherwise i'm gonna miss stuff as i'm listening <laughs> um but I do want to finish with the final question. I'm kind of curious to see what you're going to do. So I like to do weekly challenges um, at the end of the interview for the listeners. So what would you like their uh, challenge to be this week? Ooh. <laughs> uh, this, this, is, this one is simple, but not easy. Mm. Uh, your challenge this week is to eat when you're hungry <laughs> and don't eat when you're not hungry. That's it. That's it. Oh, oh we, we can add to it. Uh, rest when you're tired and um, don't rest when you're not tired. 
And, and so that, that I'll just say that that sounds very, very simple, but like, for example, as a, as a Kafa person myself, um, I have the tendency to, I really love sleeping in. It's like really like one of my greatest joys is to sleep in just as long as I want. That's an example of resting when I'm not tired, right? Where like, I'm, I'm pretty accustomed to being up early in the morning. And, and so to then sleep in until 10, it throws my whole thing off and, mm -hmm. and it gets my whole cycle out of whack. And I feel worse, like indulging in like the loveliness of sleeping in actually makes me feel worse. So, so that's resting when I'm not tired. And, and then there's also the other side, the, the pitta ambitious part of me uh, really wants to like exercise hard and go for a run and push that extra mile or whatever. And it's like, okay, yeah, but, but I'm actually like not feeling it today or whatever. Like, okay, like, so be gentle, ahimsa, be nonviolence. Don't, don't do extra stuff when you don't have to. Like, okay, like exercise to when you're tired and then, and then rest. Uh, take an extra five minutes in Shavasana at the end of your yoga practice. So rest when you're tired, don't rest when you're not tired. And then the, the real big one, eat when you're hungry, don't eat when you're not hungry. Then this is, um, I, know I'm not, I know I'm not the only one who eats when they're not hungry. Where it's just like, oh yeah, but the football game isn't over yet. So yeah, another order of fries or whatever, or, um, you know, I'm bored, so I'm going to eat some chips or I'm sad. I'm going to eat some ice cream. Like, okay, not hungry, not eating. And then, and then also to honor that sense of where, oh, I'm actually, I'm hungry. I, I'm, I've had that real hunger. So I'm going to, I'm going to eat something. Um, because a lot of us, a lot of us, it will ignore that. Like, oh, I don't have time to eat. I'm, I'm working hard. I don't have time for that. You know, like, yeah, yeah, stop honor yourself and, and eat. So, mm. so that's, that's the challenge. I love it. Those are <laughs> great challenges. And I totally, I'm like a recovering grazer cause I yeah. never do big meals. It was just constant. Yeah. And so I'm still working on reversing digestive issues that have happened because of that. And yeah. so it's just interesting to see, like, again, once you know this or once you've been studying it, you're like, Oh, this really does affect more than just like I'm bored, I'm eating. Well, now my, digest my digestive tract is all out of whack. Yeah. And that probably played a role in it. And just connecting the dots and some of this stuff, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Uh, everything matters. Ooh, I like that. That's everything matters. The, and, and But no yeah. pressure. But no pressure, yes. no pressure. Um, the other thing, so like if Ayurveda is the, the science of life or the, the knowledge on, of longevity, the fact is, we are all mortal beings, right? Not to get too morbid on you, but we're all gonna die, <laughs> which, which means that we're all gonna fail at this science of life. We're all gonna fail at Ayurveda. Like I'm a, a doctor of Ayurveda and I fail at it every day, every day. And, and so um, with, with that knowledge, like knowing that you're ultimately going to fail, like no pressure, just, just be at ease and, and learn how to fail better. Mm. and mm. and and the the key to that is to start over often mm. right where where okay so you had a, a pint or a tub of ice cream where and you know that that's not the best thing for you and so like okay well in, and so often we let perfect be the enemy of better right mm. and and so 
so it's like, okay, well, I had that tub of ice cream. Well, all right, now I'm going to drink my coffee and have another tub of ice cream. And it's just like, it, it snowballs really quickly. It's like, no, just start over immediately. Like, fine. Like, there was some intelligence calling you to that ice cream. Maybe it, it's the sweetness that you are unable to offer yourself, for example. Um, so, okay, just, just start over immediately. Okay, uh, I'll have a cup of ginger tea to help com introduce the opposite qualities of the ice cream. And, and just... And, you know, so when, whether you mess up or whether you do really well, start over, mm. you know, don't, don't let, oh, I, I went running and exercised yesterday. So I'm good. I'm, I'm doing really well. No, start over again the next day. Like, okay, I need to do it again today. So just that starting over often and failing better is like the, the mm -hmm. two biggest things that, that I, I would offer. I am like, those are perfect names for the show title today. <laughs> Awesome. starting over often and feeling better that's perfect because i was like writing down those notes and i was like nice. those are perfect <laughs> well thank you so much david it's been such a pleasure and uh hopefully everyone didn't hear my son is busted home so he was trying to bust in my office and join us but we are finishing um again i'm totally going over because i loved everything that you had talked about because it's so fascinating. I think so many people are going to learn so many things. So thank you so much. Wonderful. I hope it will be of benefit. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. I uh, really appreciate everything you do and look forward to talking to you again soon. Yes. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power. Special announcement alert. Roots of Wellness Ayurveda in Boulder, Colorado has decided to get a 20% discount to anyone who mentions the Peaceful Power podcast when booking an Ayurveda or astrology appointment with Roots of Wellness. So that again is in Boulder, Colorado. And um, if you listen to David, Heather, or Nicole, all of those are um, doctors or practitioners um, of Ayurveda who work there. So feel free to mention the Peaceful Power podcast. And if you guys want to book an appointment, if you're in the area. Thank you so much for listening to the Peaceful Power podcast. And if you want more information about today's show, head on over to andreaclausen.com where you can also find my free guide to working out for your body type. And if you haven't already, I would love it if you could rate and review the show over on iTunes and share it with any of your friends that you think would benefit from hearing the peaceful power message. Thanks again, and go out there and spread your peaceful power.